I wanted to shout out uh, one of our listeners. Um, her name is Apple. We like serendipitously met up recently and she says she listened to the Asian representation Uncle Roger episode. And after listening to that, she kind of like took a step back to kind of, you know, think about why Uncle Roger was funny or not funny. So, you know, that's that's great that people are kind of rethinking their initial reaction to media after listening to us. Good. Welcome to the Racisms Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. Welcome back to the Racisms Podcast, where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm your co-host, Jaslyn, with my co-host, Lisa. Hey, everyone. And today I wanted to talk about Black representation in Hollywood films. Um, Like I said in a previous episode, I feel an affinity to other Black people. And so that extends to me seeking out media with Black people like movies and films that are either made by black people or starring black people. However, my enthusiasm for films by or about or even featuring black people can be soured by how we are represented. So historically, black actors have been relegated to certain roles and characters in films, which usually held uh, negative representations. And over time in Hollywood, Black people have gotten, quote unquote, better roles and opportunities in Hollywood. But I think the problems still persist, not only in front of the screen, but also behind the scenes as well. Um, So I I could talk about a lot of different issues that I find in black movies and films. Today, I kind of wanted to focus on two figures or tropes that are often depicted in films that have both black and white characters. And those are the magical Negro and the white savior. Lisa, have you heard of these terms before? Yes, I've heard of the white savior term before, but actually uh, the magical Negro is something that I've not heard of before. Hmm, okay. So can you kind of guess from the the title, the magical Negro, what what that kind of role would be? Uh, I think it's someone that is like really special or lifted up as different than uh, everyone else. And I don't know if they're actually magical, but I would think that they have some special quality that is, you know, not even, you know, present in the general population. So that's what I think it is. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's a pretty good guess. Uh, Sometimes they are, they do have special magical qualities, but Mm -hmm. not always. So uh, the magical Negro is often the, often a supporting or even a token black character and supporting to the white main character. And the magical Negro displays some extreme amount of patience and wisdom and a certain magic or even a superhumanness that is directed towards helping and enlightening the white character. And so there are a lot of films, especially in the past, where this role has been very clear like the movie The Shining. Do you remember that one? The Stephen King um, movie. 
I've heard of it. I've not. You haven't seen, seen it? it. Well, well, there's it's this a scary movie. So <sighs> it's a good scary movie. Okay, that's what everyone says about every scary movie. <laughs> yeah, but this one's good. The Shining, The Legend of Bagger Vance, and The Green Mile. But mm. even this role has persisted in recent times, and this includes movies like Mr. Church, The Same Kind of Different as Me, and The Upside. And movies that, just from the trailers and the movie posters, I can already tell that this movie is not going to be for me because I can spot a potential Magical Negro situation a mile away. <laughs> so, Lisa, have you ever seen any of these movies that I just mentioned? I think the only one I've heard or I've seen is The Green Mile. Mm, okay. Yes, I can definitely, looking back, see how that main character was the Magical Negro. Yeah. Yes, to our Tom Hanks mm-hmm. <laughs> in the movie. So, right. I mean, it's just it just makes me roll my eyes um, <laughs> when I see you know movies like this because it's just it it persists and it seems like it's something that Hollywood is very interested in and they mm-hmm. you know they really grab onto these types of movies and I, it just makes me wonder why. What what about this role or this trope is so appealing to Hollywood and I guess to the audience that Hollywood is is marketing to? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while I cannot fully comment on these movies because I haven't seen them and I don't plan to because I can already tell that it's going to upset me. But I wanted to just read the description of some of these movies. Mm-hmm. Indulge me. So these these descriptions are from Rotten Tomatoes. So the Upside. Have you heard of the Upside? Maybe you've seen a trailer. It's with Kevin Hart mm. and another white person. And so this is the description. This came out in 2019. Philip is a wealthy quadriplegic who needs a caretaker to help him with his day to day routine in his New York penthouse. He decides to hire Dell, a struggling parolee who's trying to reconnect with his ex and his young son. Despite coming from two different worlds, an unlikely friendship starts to blossom as Dell and Philip rediscover the joy of living life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Sounds heartwarming, I'm sure. All right, let's read the description for the same kind of different as me, made in 2017. Successful businessman Ron Hall and his wife Deborah discover a, re- a renewed sense of purpose when they begin to volunteer at a local mission in Fort Worth, Texas. Their lives change forever when they develop an unlikely friendship with Denver Moore, a homeless man who inspires them to save their struggling marriage. Mm. <laughs> now, uh, by these descriptions, can you tell which one is the white person and which one is the black person? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the white, the white characters are the successful people. Like the, the unlikely friendship is always used. Right. It's like, why? Yeah, they both use the phrase unlikely friendship. Mm. Telling. Yes, and the black characters are the the struggling parolee, meaning he's just got out of mm-hmm. prison. He's on parole. And the uh, homeless man from the mission. So, yeah, usually these magical Negroes are um, of a lower class, usually poor, you know, as in this case, they're... They're just out of jail or they're homeless. 
And they and they they run into these wealthy, not just regular white people. These people, mm. a penthouse in New York, okay, successful businessman. It's it's mm. really, I mean, the stark differences. And then and then you're playing on this unlikely friendship. So you're you're trying to appeal to people's heartstrings. But why does this have to be the story? Mm-hmm. You know. And then let's go to Mr. Church, 2016. The description, when a young girl and her dying mother are joined by a black male cook who comes to live with them, little do they know that their lives are about to change forever. <laughs> so we already know who the black, uh, the black character is because they say it in the description. But they don't mention the race of the young girl and the dying mother. Because why? Because people probably assume that they are white. Yeah, because Hollywood assumes the norm is white. So they don't need to, mm-hmm. you know, describe the... The girl and the mother, but they have to make sure you know that the male cook is black. And so then you know that this male cook is going to come in and use his, you know, his qualities or his, you know, his wisdom, his patience to to turn their lives around. Now, I cannot fully comment on these movies. I've never seen them. I have no plans to. If any <laughs> listeners, you know, have seen these movies and say, you know, you got it wrong, Jalen, it's not as bad as you say. I'll give it a chance, maybe, but I can I can spot it for a mile away, okay? And one of the reasons these movies bother me is that the black person is never the hero, and normally, usually, they are never is never told through their perspective, the story. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's it's told through the eyes of the white character. So of course, you know when you when your perspective is through, you know one lens. It's the story's gonna be a certain way. Okay, so they're never the hero. They're only there to assist the white character to either overcome their own issues or aid them in saving the day. They don't, you know, they don't save their own day, or they don't have the solutions themselves. But their their wisdom and their patience, you know, enlightens the white character, and then they can go on and and save the day. Mm-hmm. And also, most of the recent films that I just mentioned are based on a true story, quote-unquote. Hmm. So, you know, people will say, it's based on a true story, you know. What can you, what can you do? But why, why are these the stories that are chosen to be made into films? What is the motivation mm-hmm. or the purpose of these movies? Yeah, I can't think of any movie where there was a poor white ex-convict that is befriended by a wealthy black family and, you know, mm-hmm. heartfelt moments will ensue. <laughs> I mean, do you know of any movie like that? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, I can't think of any anything like that. So I'm sure there are tons of heartwarming stories there that are out there that could be, you know, the reverse or even just a different kind of story where it's not always the poor black or, you know, the huge class differences where... Oh, you know, the white person is enlightened by this unlikely friendship that they have with mm-hmm. their black servant, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just kind of bothers me. So that is my problem with the magical Negro trope. And, you know, you could see it in even more films. Um, for example, I've seen it in movies that are again, based on a true story that centers or supposedly is about maybe a famous black person, like the movies Marshall and Ruby Bridges, 
But at the end of the day, they end up centering a white character. You know, uh, I don't know if you know Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges was a six-year-old black girl that, you know, desegregated a local elementary school back in the 50s or 60s, I forget. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the movie, the, the story turns to how this white psychologist who takes it upon himself to, you know, to help her. Nobody asked him to help, but he comes in and tries to help her. And at the end of the movie, Ruby Bridges ends up giving him wisdom. And he's like, oh, my God, the wisdom of these children. I just mm-hmm. I'm a better person now. <laughs> right. And then in Marshall, which came out three years ago, was supposed to be about Thurgood Marshall, famous lawyer turned into Supreme Court justice, the first black Supreme Court justice, but ends up centering the white lawyer on some random case that he does in the northeast part of the country. Like why, you know, these are both based on true stories, but these movies and these stories could be framed differently. Mm. So it's bothersome to me. Mm-hmm. Any comments, Lisa? Have you noticed any movies that you've seen that maybe you've liked in the past? You look back and you're like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, for sure. Especially when you brought up uh, Green Mile, uh, The Blind Side. You know, I thought those were, I mean, I was touched by those movies, but I didn't see uh, the the tropes that you're talking about now. Now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that is kind of that is definitely what it was and these like quote-unquote unlikely friendships um definitely have been used a lot mm-hmm. now i recently watched this movie on amazon prime uh it's called troop zero i don't know if you've seen the i think i've seen previews for it previews is that what um viola davis yeah yeah mm-hmm. So I watched this movie with uh, my family. It was it was funny. You know, it's about a Girl Scout troop and I am a Girl Scout uh, mom. Uh, so it was it was kind of relatable in that way. But I like I couldn't pinpoint if this was I mean, it wasn't a white savior movie, I don't think. Um, but I didn't know Viola was magical in this. I mean, she was tasked to like start this troop because her employer's daughter wanted a troop and she didn't have a, a female in her life to start it so Viola, Viola Davis you know reluctantly agrees to start the troop mm-hmm. and I just I mean I, I don't know if it was magical if she was magical or not but she did you know help the little girl kind of discover who she was mm-hmm. and be proud of who she was mm-hmm. and, and I guess everybody learns something at the end of the day so that uh. I mean, it sounds. I am looking out for it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds. It sounds like it could be a candidate. I think I've. Mm-hmm. I saw maybe a, a advertisement or a trailer, and it you know it didn't appeal to me. I saw you know Viola Davis was the troop leader, but I didn't see any black girls. Were there black there was, girls? There was a few. Okay. Or there was one, not few. There was one mm. in the troop. Yeah. I see. So yeah, it, you know, it, it kind of you know it put my little antennas up. It's like, hmm, <laughs> <laughs> this movie is probably not speaking to me. Yeah, and you know, I mean, every movie has an audience, right? Mm-hmm, not every mm-hmm. movie is going to speak to me, but it's like, why? Why do these movies resonate with people? 
the the intended audience. And I mean, it's fine if you're touched. It's fine if you um, felt, you know, some sort of feelings. It was a heartwarming story, mm-hmm. but it's like, what is what is the perception, or what do you what is the take takeaway? Is it like, oh man, I wish I had a you know a black guy in my life to do this, <laughs> or I gotta find me that one you know that one good black friend? Are you is is that the qualities you see that you know? that you liked in the black character, is that expanding to all the black people in your life? Like, what do you, what is the takeaway? I mean, I hope it's not the first thing you said, uh, you know, just like kind of using people to feel something in your own life. Uh, I mean, I think I see it as the reason they cast black actors and actresses into these secondary or, subordinate roles is because that's how they want you know our lives to be played out right white supremacy wants white to be supreme and everyone else subordinate and you know i also see this in like kids shows where you know the white girl is the popular girl she's the one with all the friends but then she has like the sidekick Mm -hmm. who's typically my minority you know, and she's like funny and spunky, but she's never like the lead character. And I think that's just because Hollywood and society wants to for us to remain secondary and not like main. And so if you cast us as the main, then people, a majority of the audience, which is white, will be like, whoa, whoa, I, I, this is not how I want my life. This is not how I see my life. Right. And so I think it just. Yeah. And, but it's like continues. even with kids shows. I don't, well, I don't know all kids, but I don't think kids would see it like that, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's more the adults would have a problem with a leading character that's not non-white. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, we say it's, you know, a a boon for diversity. Yeah, we got minority characters, but it's like, if you have one of each, it's obvious (laughs) what you're doing here. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I feel like it's a type of gaslighting as well. It's like, hey, there's an Asian person in there. You should be, f- you should be happy that they're there, right? Instead of thinking, well, maybe they should be the main character. Or yeah, and that's that's the problem. Like for so many years, you know, people had to take the roles that were available, and it's like Robert Townsend talked about this in the '80s. He did what movie did he do? He did one movie. It was really good, you know, a black movie. And he was like, okay, great. Let's do another one of these awesome movies. And they're like, um, you guys get one movie a year. <laughs> that was that one movie. You got to wait till the next year for a really good black movie to come out. So it's like the roles historically have been scarce. And um, sometimes you do get a good role. But if you're an actor and you want to make a living, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to take you know what's available and yep. historically these you know magical negro subordinate roles are the only things that they're funding hollywood is funding or green lighting and i think that's another problem is the gatekeeping and who's who's producing who's directing who's funding these movies hollywood needs to and can do better
on to the white savior role. So you said you had heard of that role before, right, Lisa? Yes. So what? Yes. What is your what is your perception of that role in movies? Uh, like you know, they're the they're they are influence. They they have a lot of influence. So they have to be the one to save the day, which then makes the other white people around them like think twice about their previous actions. Mm. Like they they're gonna change the world for the better of <laughs> They're gonna take it upon the themselves. Mm. They're gonna step up. No yeah. one else is stepping up, they're gonna step up. So yeah, yes. to me the white savior comes along to help the Otherwise, helpless black person or people in the mm-hmm. movie achieve some sort of freedom or justice. Yeah. Okay. That they would otherwise not be able to attain themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, some good examples of this I've seen is the movie The Blind Side, mm-hmm. uh, 12 Years a Slave, and The Help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but however, I, I have a problem when they employ this. Well, I have a problem with this character as a whole, but especially when they employ this character in a dramatized movie, again, about historical figures, um, when that didn't happen in real life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, that makes me wonder about the te- intent behind the character and who the audience, the intended audience is for. So, for example, let's talk about the movie Hidden Figures. You heard mm-hmm. of that one or you've seen it? Yes. Yes. Lots of people loved Hidden Figures. I loved Hidden Figures. I mean, how could you not as a woman in STEM? Right. It was amazing. You know, it features three African-American women who worked as human computers in the early days of what was then called NACA, but turned into NASA. Mm-hmm. Um, and they provided valuable calculations to the first orbital flights of early astronauts. You know, these mm-hmm. women were mm-hmm. awesome. Um, yeah. Now, you might say they were working in a mostly white space you know the Mm. this this uh government lab had mostly white male engineers and they had some white women working also as computers and secretary Mm. roles so of course you're going to see white people as supporting characters in this movie some of which you know were bound to have been some of some help to these women during that time right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but my problem is when they make up stuff just to give a white person or a white character something to do to make them look good, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. And one example of that is um, when the, the main character in the movie, Katherine Johnson, uh, has to use the colored restroom, um, which is on the other side of the campus, mm-hmm. because there's no quote-unquote restroom for her in the building where she's working with the white engineers. And so... You know, we see that in the movie, she's running across campus trying to, you know, use the restroom. And because she's running halfway, like half a mile, I think is how far it is away. She has to be absent from her desk for an abnormally, abnormally long time that it would take Mm -hmm. a normal person to use the bathroom. So her white boss confronts her, you know, and says, what are you doing? Whenever I need you, you're not here. And so she -hmm. gets upset and tells him why she has to be away from her desk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this white boss takes it into his own hands and goes to the colored bathroom, the colored only wet women's restroom and knocks down the colored only sign. And with an audience of the black women computers and then on the other side, there are some white people. I don't know 
why they're there. This if it's in the colored <laughs> section of the canvas, but the white people are there as well as a symbolic gesture that is that says enough is enough, right? Mm. So he steps in, you know, he steps up, supposedly, and does the right thing. Mm. So we got two problems here. <laughs> we got the white savior, and then we got a man fixing a woman's problem. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and the, and the other problem is that this never happened. So the right. real Katherine Johnson said in an interview, because at this point when the movie came out, she was still alive. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure she may still be alive, but she said that she didn't, she wasn't worried about that. She used whatever bathroom she well pleased. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that means that that incident never happened and she solved her own problem. Mm-hmm. So why then added drama? Why? Why was that important for that to be a part of the story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about that scene? Um, so again, um, so I had read the book. So I do remember that um, there was the removal of a sign, but it was by the women mm. from the cafeteria and it wasn't with the restrooms, like you said. So, yeah, I think it was. Like. Okay, so they painted this guy's, they painted him as this like um, kind of, you know, boss with no feelings. He wasn't going to like anybody. You know, he just wanted everyone to do their work. And like all of a sudden, this guy has heart, you know, and he cares about his workers. So, you know, just kind of like in um, in the other movie, uh, Marshall, where they had to like give these, this white layer story arc, they had to give this this white boss a story arc that, you know, he's going to step up where no one cares because no one else in that office cared about her, right? They painted everybody else as, like, antagonistic toward her. You know, everybody else um, brought in a smaller coffee pot and put a sticker on it that said colored mm-hmm. so that she wouldn't touch their coffee pot, you know? And, yes, this scene with the bathroom... Um, was incorrect, but also this coffee pot incident. Like, are you are you saying that like you had not seen this sticker until she pointed out that it was there? Like, you know, I don't believe that. I mean, I don't. I don't think they write about that in the book, but in the movie, it's kind of like, oh, well, aren't you awesome? You took off the colored sticker and also, um, knocked down the sign. Right. And and then and then they had all the black computers standing there, like. Not applauding him or anything, but just, I don't know. Yeah, they're like, they're reverence? looking at him. They're in... like, you know, their eyes are like, oh, we're so grateful. Yeah. <laughs> that you came and right? knocked it down. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Is, is, is real life not dramatic enough? Good enough. Or in, I know. interesting enough? I wanted more math. I mean, because these women were geniuses, right? Yes. Every time I read the word computer in that book, I was like, are they talking about a person? Because that's what they were doing. And that was amazing. So I wanted more math. Didn't get it. Um, Yeah, but it wasn't like about them, right? Like there was some love story. There was some family. But like it wasn't about them rising up in the ranks, right? Like Uh, there were some some story arcs like with Dorothy Vaughn. Yeah, but she had to rely on miss whatever her name was i don't know miss mitchell what from what i remember she like you know she took it upon herself to learn 
the codes and, you know, Mm -hmm. learn the new machine computers because she saw that as a future. And so she she kind of worked her, you know, she's she was prophetic. She saw it coming. So she took it upon Mm -hmm. herself to learn this stuff so she could, you know, be ready for for the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think before that happened, she kept asking that white manager Mm -hmm. from the other computing group, like, have you seen my application? Are you going to put it forward? So it was in like, you know, and like that lady also had a story arc because she went from calling Dorothy Dorothy to Mrs. Vaughn at the end of the movie. And it's like, oh, God, like, really? <laughs> I mean, I don't have a problem with that if it happened. <laughs> Let me find out it didn't happen. Then I'll have a I mean, problem. I don't think it I don't think it's I don't think it was in the book, but I could be re- remembering wrong, too, from what I read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, all these like over dramatizations. You know, oh, all these people having a change of heart. Like, I don't think that's, I don't, I don't think that's what the book was trying to tell us. Right. That all these awesome people had these change of hearts. It was that these awesome women, you know, changed their lives, got this opportunity, and then changed, changed NASA. That's, that's the story I would have liked to have felt. That's a good story. And it's like, it's like, can you not relate to these women? Are these women's stories not Mm. enough for you to relate to? Yeah, I know. I think I so. I, of course they are. And how about that? How about John Glenn? I, I forgot to look up if he was actually so nice to these black computers or not. Um, but they also like made him out to be like, oh, the the what? I don't know how you would describe him. Like, oh, the guy who doesn't, you know, care about race, you know, like oh. the black computers, <laughs> which is good as the white computers. Now, in the book, John Glenn, I think, does want Dorothy to check his numbers or check the computer's numbers, the IBM's numbers. Mm -hmm. So I think that was true. Um, But that was to prove that, um, not Dorothy, Catherine was a genius, you know, like he needed her because they didn't trust the IBM. But in the movie, it's portrayed as if, you know, John Glenn, big heart, you know, (laughs) wants to trust, wants to trust the black woman. Oh, that's amazing. Like, you know, there's good white people in the world. Right. That's, that's, Um, I wouldn't even say that. But yeah, that's one of the intentions, you know, it's not enough Mm -hmm. to focus on these black women and their accomplishments. We have to know in all these movies that there was at least one white, good white person. There has to be. Right. Right. So... So, Green Book, another white savior magical Negro loop. Mm. When I, okay, when I saw that there was going to be a movie, and it's the bait and switch. I saw a movie, the movie was called Green Book. <laughs> I know what the Green Book is. Okay? The Green Book was made me. by a black person for black people so they could travel safely and enjoy their lives in this racist country. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but from the trailer, yes, it's not about the Green Book. They picked up the, that book like two times. Didn't explain the history of it. The black person who was the beneficiary of this book did not look at the book. I mean, I don't know if if the, if this is a real story, you want to tell that story, fine. But why why are you drawing on that historical? 
piece when you're not going to go into it. So that's my problem with the Green Mm -hmm. Book. They used the Green Book to sell this movie when they could have called it. What was the name? Tony and Tony and Doc. (laughs) If they wanted to tell that story about the friendship between the driver and the musician, fine. Mm -hmm. You could have said that, called it something else. I wouldn't even looked at it or Mm -hmm. been interested Mm -hmm. (laughs) Driving Miss Daisy, you know, in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Driving Mr. Shirley. That would have worked. That would have worked. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do a bait and switch. So Mm. I watched it just so I could comment on it on this this podcast. And as expected, I was not impressed. But it was more because of the bait and switch with the name and the using the book as a prop. Yeah, I mean, that is just. They they understand that. Black audiences have buying power, you know, they're they're going to spend money at the movies and then they trick you into doing it. And that, and that's just what is that, right? Now, granted, I know um, some black people that that really enjoyed the movie. Hmm. Did they say why, or did you engage with them on to why? You know, I'll I'll ask later. <laughs> okay. But um, they probably thought it was a good story. They probably felt, mm. you know, the connection between the two main characters, the arc of the the white guy who starts off as clearly racist and. You know, he's probably still racist at the end, but not towards Doc. Mm. But I don't know. Of course, there is a documentary on the Green Book. I think it was on PBS. So if anyone's interested in learning about that history. So, Jaslyn, do you have if, if you could like. If you could have Hollywood like sit in front of you, what would you tell them to do better at? First, I would say hire more black people behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Hire some writers. Mm -hmm. Hire people to double check. Hire some, you know, some people to check your script. You know, they see a magical Negro, they could mark it in red and say, look, oh, I don't know if you saw this, but you have a magical Negro here. Maybe you want to add a backstory for this guy, give him a family, a life story, some goals. Mm. Round them out a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. If they see a white savior, they could circle that and like, oh, wait, you got a white savior here. He comes out of nowhere. <laughs> Doesn't have any interest in the story until like an hour in and then he comes and saves the day. Does that really happen? Maybe the black person can save his own life. I don't know. But maybe, you know, just do a rethink. Mm. But on the opposite side, I think people should stop looking to Hollywood to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are like, oh, they need to do, uh, you know, Frederick Douglass next. No, they don't. (laughs) I don't trust them. (laughs) Read a book. <laughs> Create a movie in your mind about the awesomeness of Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. I do not want to see that messed up. So I've I've given up on that. I will stick to my documentaries, my books. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and I just want to I just want people to know that our stories are rich. They're very they're beautiful enough to be told truthfully without unnecessarily and unnecessary embellishment. And that, you know, we can anybody can relate to anybody's story that someone actually went to. You don't have to add fictional characters or overemphasize the influence of a white person in the story to appeal to a white audience. Mm. You know, and sometimes, you know, if it didn't happen like that, sometimes white people just need to see that there were no good white people around. And then Mm. maybe that'll motivate them to say, why? Nobody helped Mm. her. Nobody. Mm. That's bad. Yeah. You know? So, Lisa, I mean, what do you what do you think? What would you tell Hollywood? I mean, I would tell Hollywood that I'm ready personally. Uh, I hope that I have a lot of uh, friends, family, listeners who are also ready to be uncomfortable, to be um, de-educated from the education that we received in the U.S. You know, we were indoctrinated. I heard that on a podcast. You know, we were indoctrinated, not educated. Um, And so I would say I'm ready for all the things that Jaslyn said uh, to, you know, show us what history was like. Um, I think it's time that we we start caring also that we're not just being like we're not buying into being fed this these these uh, inaccuracies. You know, they're not necessary. We don't need to spend our money that way and keep supporting this institution of this Hollywood institution that will, you know, whitewash, white savior, um, all this, all this, all the other bad stuff. And that we are ready for, for real, for, we're not, we're not watching movies just to be entertained anymore. Let us want to learn as well. So for today's Better World Nugget, um, even though I said that Hollywood can and should do better, um, and they should, I think it's time we stop asking or wanting Hollywood to do movies about our important figures in history until we're able to fix this problem. And I also encourage everyone to get their facts from books and possibly documentaries reinforced with books, especially about Mm -hmm. important historical figures. I mean, it's okay to start with a stylized movie, but I would suggest that, you know, to get the full story, to get more information, to reinforce the movies with factual sources so you can understand the real and full person. Um, There's a great book that I read um, about a case that was tried by Thurgood Marshall in the South in Florida, I believe, that was way more entertaining than the movie Marshall. And the book is called Devil in the Grove. And it has some real drama. So, you know, it's just as, well, it's better than a movie. But um, check that out if you're interested. As for Hidden Figures, I recommend you read the book that the movie was based on, which also features some of the research and the interviews with the women that were featured in the movie. Um, I'm sure there are movies, I mean, books about Ruby Bridges and other important historical figures that have been featured in Hollywood movies. So do some research. Lisa, do you have a better world nugget? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I also 
want to recommend Hidden Figures. Uh, there's also more math in there, which I appreciated. Uh, but yeah, just to get that perspective from, you know, a researcher, someone who, you know, did the interviews and stuff, I think it's very important because like you said, like the stylized movie is great for just that first start, but to dive into deeper. Um, and I think that, you know, like I said earlier, if we're just more educated moviegoers or, you know, TV watchers, I think that's good for everybody. Um, and I think that if we can, you know, learn to, you know, reject the storylines that are given us, we can learn to also accept other storylines, more genuine storylines too, that maybe Hollywood or um, someone hasn't produced yet. So I think we have a long ways to go, but it's, I mean, for me, I am happy to start that now, um, having had this conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Racisms Podcast. Before you go, please be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to this to stay up to date on new episodes. And let us know, what other movies did you find problematic? And what tropes and stereotypes need to finally be retired? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Racism's Podcast. Racismspodcast.wordpress.com Peace, everyone. Be safe. Music for this episode was created by Jasmine Duke and Kyle Carson. This episode was produced and edited by Kyle Carson. You, you usually say peace. I know, you said everyone. it. Good job. I'm sorry. I, just, I was going by the script. I was got confused. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Do it again. I was like, be, I was like, how do I say this? Be safe. <laughs> I think it's fine. Keep it. We'll see. Oh. We'll see how the audience feels. <laughs>